Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Banter Podcast, episode 59. I'm your host, Ben Kern. I'm here with my co-host, Mike Luciano. Mike, buddy, how are you? I'm surprised, Ben. You know, instead of talking at the top of the show about the G7 summit or Kamala Harris's trip to Mexico and Central America, I thought we'd just talk about something uh, more fun. Uh, and and this, this is why I'm surprised. Jeffrey Tubin has returned to CNN after a months-long paid leave of absence. CNN Chief Legal Analyst Jeffrey Tubin to talk about this and more. Hi, Jeffrey. Hello, Allison. It's been a while. It has been a while, indeed. I feel like we should address um, what's happened in the months since we've seen you, since some of our viewers may not know what has happened. So uh, I guess I'll recap. I'll do the honors. Help yourself. Okay. Um, in October, you were on a Zoom call with your colleagues from the New Yorker magazine. Everyone took a break for several minutes, during which time you were caught masturbating on camera. Uh, you were subsequently fired from that job after 27 years of working there. And you, since then, have been on leave from CNN. Do I have all that right? Um, you got it all right. Sad to say. Two things about this. One, if I were Jeffrey Tubin, I don't think I'd be able to go back out there. <laughs> I would not be able to go out there and take that. I would probably just say, you know what? I'm, I'm good on TV for at least several years. The second thought I had is, is there really such a dearth of cable news legal analysts or potential cable news legal analysts that CNN feels compelled to bring back Jeffrey Tubin? Like, can you imagine if you interviewed for a legal analyst position at CNN at any point between Tubin's Zoom call and Tubin coming back and you were turned down and you see Tubin back on CNN? How are you feeling? Like, what the hell? Like, what was so bad about me that they turned me down, but they bring back the Zoom masturbator? I have a couple of thoughts. I would say the first thing is that I think that clip from CNN, the only thing more embarrassing than that clip was, was probably what those colleagues at the New Yorker experienced when Jeffrey Tubin was actually masturbating in front of them. Holy shit, was that awkward. That was painful. That was an extremely painful. Oh, my God. So, yeah, look, I'm going to disagree with you a bit. I say that the guy screwed up. Like, he made a, you know, a terrible mistake. Like, it was, I think it was clearly a mistake. Um, he confessed to it. He apologized for it. He said that, you know, like, he didn't mean to do it. It wasn't intentional. Um, was mortified by what he'd done. And I think, look, you know, I have a problem in today's culture where you can destroy someone's career for a mistake. You know, they make one mistake and then that's it, right? Then your career is, is finished. I mean, there there are mistakes and then there are, you know, there are things that are kind of like terrible, terrible, terrible sins that I think that, you know, it's almost like you can't come back from that. But this guy got caught masturbating, you know? I mean, so what? It's not, it's not really, it's not, I don't think it's a big deal, you know? Um, he got caught, you know, it was, it was dumb. It was a mistake. It wasn't, it's not as if the people he were talk he was talking to have never masturbated or seen anybody masturbating or, 
Um, I, I don't see why such a big deal had to be made out of it. But to continue, you know, to to in respect to what you, your your comments on it, I do I do kind of agree that it's like, you know, Jeffrey Tubin gets the second chance. Like loads of other people have been fired for way less, right? And this guy, this guy gets, you know, this guy gets a second chance. It's not. It there does feel to be. I do think he should have had a second chance, but I I feel that there's given the other people who've been fired for those kind of things. Uh, you know, he he's he got pretty lucky. How much is Tubin paying you, Ben? Yeah, I'm a paid spokesperson by Jeffrey Tubin. He's the new sponsor of the podcast, by the way. <laughs> uh, Jeffrey Tubin is not a sponsor of the podcast. Um, he did have an extramarital affair with a a woman who got pregnant, and he told her something like uh, he wouldn't support the child or something like that. And then she had the baby, and she had to sue him, and then a judge ordered Tubin to pay child support. So, you know... Not a great guy. Not, 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 a, not, not a great guy. Yeah, yeah, not a great guy. Well, but, from, hey, what we can, hey. from what we can tell, from what, from, you know, again, it's like, you know, he... I've never thought he was particularly interesting, but, um, you know, I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Well, we've pulled on this story enough. Uh, let's get to some <laughs> real news. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. That was, that was a bit too close to the mark. Yeah. <laughs> pulling on, <laughs> pulling on Jeffrey Tubin's story. And, anyway. Yeah. So we had a big New York times report drop late last week, uh, about Trump's, Justice Department. And I'll just read the first two graphs of this big scoop. As the Justice Department investigated who was behind the leaks of classified information early in the Trump administration, it took a highly unusual step. Prosecutors subpoenaed Apple for data from the accounts of at least two Democrats on the House Intelligence Committee, aides and family members. One was a minor. All told, the records of at least a dozen people tied to the committee were seized in 2017 and early 2018, including those of Representative Adam B. Schiff of California, then the panel's top Democrat and its now chairman, according to committee officials and two other people briefed on the inquiry. Representative Eric Swalwell of California said in an interview Thursday night that he had also been notified that his data had been subpoenaed. This is, I would say, a big deal. However, it's one of those stories that I'm worried isn't going to lead to anything, right? Like how many times have we heard about some shady or possibly illegal thing the Trump administration did, whether it was Trump or Trump's DOJ or some other agency, and nothing came of it? You know, I, I hope I'm wrong in thinking that this revelation will – most likely lead to no consequences. Uh, regarding Biden's DOJ looking into Trump, I, I'm just not optimistic. I'm not, not, I'm not impressed thus far. I'm not impressed by Garland. I mean, he strikes me from what I have seen so far. He looks like an attorney general who is not going to rock the boat at DOJ. And an example of that is he's continuing to allow the Department of Justice to defend Trump in a defamation lawsuit. Um, you may recall that, you know, Trump was accused of of this woman, E. Jean Carroll, uh, who said that Trump raped her in a New York City department store in the 1990s. Trump basically called her a liar. She sued Trump for defamation. And the Trump Justice Department was taking up Trump's case 
uh, in his capacity as president. And that was a controversial move at the time. And one of the legal questions when Biden came into office was, would the TOJ continue defending Trump or would they say, tell Trump, get your own lawyer? Well, they went with door number one, and that's rankled a lot of feathers. And, and the second thing is, and this is more this is more significant, is the DOJ's position on the internal memo relating to Bill Barr's summary of the Mueller report, which was essentially a mischaracterization of what was in it. You might remember that Barr released a summary of the Mueller report that set a media narrative before the actual Mueller report was released. And that prompted Mueller and the investigators to issue a statement basically saying as much. And this is from NPR just uh, two or three weeks ago. Quote, the Justice Department released a portion of an internal memo cited by former leaders as part of their decision concluding that former President Donald Trump did not obstruct justice, but in a court filing late Monday said it would seek to block the full document from release. The move is certain to disappoint watchdog groups and Biden administration allies in Congress who have called for transparency about alleged wrongdoing in the Trump years. Count me as disappointed, Ben. Count me as disappointed. I mean, Garland just does not strike me as someone, and I get it, like there are institutional norms that transcend different administrations of different parties, but the Trump administration was so abnormal and deviant, something should give, but I'm worried it's not. I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about if I was if I was Merrick Garland, if my goal was to make these people pay for what they did i would not necessarily go for it straight away right there may be it may be that he's you know allowing the less serious crimes to slide because they think that they have something really fucking big so i don't know that could be part of it if not trump then who this is the issue. I mean, I had serious problems with o Obama. I understood why Obama didn't go after the Bush. Uh, you know, um, Obama's DOJ um, didn't go after the, uh, the Bush people and why Obama explicitly chose not to, right? It was like, <clears throat> you know, the entire economy had just blown apart. It was a black man in the White House. Um, I think, like, chucking, like, the previous administration in jail would have led to something, you know, it, it, the, the results could have been a, a disaster, right? It could have led to a civil war. But with Trump, like you said, like the guys, it was so deviant. I mean, that's a good word, right? It was it was such a deviant organ, um, uh, administration, so nakedly corrupt that something has to stick. You know, something has to stick. Otherwise, what is it for? What is the Department of Justice for if it's not invest if it's not doing anything about bringing justice to people who've committed, you know, egregious crimes, you know, and these and these aren't the crimes are so obvious that it's it's almost like you you have to be only an intellectual could argue could argue that it wasn't a crime. This is you know this is uh, one of the kind of I think one of the major kind of roles of the intellectual classes or like if you look at like Breitbart for example right. I, I, Maybe they're not really intellectuals, right? But that entire website exists to essentially normalize insanity, normalize absolute lunacy, you know, which is what happened under during the Trump administration. And I think just for the sake of reality, just for the sake of of of, of clawing back reality, like some someone's got to pay. Like somebody has to fucking pay. It's too much. Couple of things, like. 
the attorney general does not sign off on the vast majority of cases. All the time we have U.S. attorneys bringing charges for various things, drugs, embezzlement, murder, and other federal crimes. And the attorney general never is never privy to, to those things. I think what worries me is even if the, like the notoriously independent Southern District of New York, say, wants to bring charges against Trump, that's something that I think they'll feel compelled to kick up the ladder all the way to the attorney general and get him to weigh in. And uh, again, he just doesn't strike me as the type of person who would sign off on that. I, I, I don't know. I don't know him that well. He hasn't been the attorney general very long. But like you said, there is this resistance to, even though they can, investigating previous presidents and administrations. And there's nothing stopping them from bringing uh, charges where they are warranted, except for the fact that they don't want to be seen as weaponizing the Department of Justice as a political tool. I understand that. On the other hand, this gives us essentially elite impunity, right? So if that's the unspoken norm we're going to go by, then how is any presidential administration held accountable? How is any president held legally accountable for any illegal things that they do while in office? That sends an even worse message. I mean, if you can prove that Donald Trump did illegal things X, Y, and Z, and a jury of his peers— Which you can. All, all agree, which, which arguably you can. <laughs> arguably, I would say definitively you can. Well, well here's the thing. I mean, you get, you get one MAGA on that jury, and you get a mistrial. So I just worry that the Justice Department— in their reluctance to look at high, high-level officials and charge them with any crimes they may have committed, I, I, it just feeds into the narrative that pretty much everyone has, that not everyone is equal before the law. The rich and the powerful get to do what they want without consequence, and then the rest of us, you know, if we get, uh, if we get a ticket for jaywalking, well, too bad. Well, by the way, um, since... Uh, since Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell are uh, central to this, as they were the ones whose records were supposedly subpoenaed uh, by the Trump DOJ, this is going to annoy some people, but I don't care. You know who loves that this happened? Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell. They love that Bill Barr subpoenaed Apple to get their personal info and that this story is out there. And honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if Schiff and Swalwell like were the ones who had this leaked to the public because, and Ben, you may disagree with me here and probably a lot of our listeners will. These guys love being the center of attention. Okay. They are basically CNN. And this, by the way, this doesn't excuse what the Trump administration did. Okay. This, I'm still saying this is wrong. This isn't my own separate rant about these two guys. So let's, let's just silo those two things for a second. These guys are they're basically cable news contributors. They're on TV all the time. I, I can't believe it. I saw one count during the first six months of 2017. Schiff made 123 appearances on TV. And I haven't seen any you know, official counts since then, but it wouldn't surprise me if the rate increased over time with the Mueller investigation and the, the impeachment and the other impeachment. And now this. And, and just so when I thought, 
these two guys couldn't appear on TV any more than they do. It's revealed that the Trump Justice Department was snooping on them. So I don't know. I guess I guess I guess frankly, <laughs> I guess frankly, I've always been put off by people who seem to seek the spotlight. And that's just about every politician for sure. But there's there's something about these two guys whose politics I largely agree with. But Ted Lou is another one. Ted Lieu, Chris Murphy, uh, Lindsey Graham, to name a Republican. John Kennedy is another one. And look, maybe it's just because I'm sensitive to this because part of my job is monitoring cable news. But I, these guys are on TV all the fucking all the time. All the goddamn time, yeah. So that's my rant on, on cable news camera whores. Yeah, okay. I'm glad you got it off your chest. <sighs> Thank do you, feel, you. Do you, feel, do you feel better? I do. Uh, it, you know, look, part of, part of the podcast is it's a chance for us to vent, chance for us to get things off our chest. Uh, and I think, you know, you, you deserve it as much as anybody else. Thank you. Thank you. And, and again, the real takeaway of that segment is that the Trump administration, especially its Justice Department, was deviant. Which um, I think that that's, um, segues nicely into our, our next um, topic of conversation, which was uh, Obama's interview with Anderson Cooper earlier this week, which was talked about essentially how just how insane the Trump administration was and how awful Republicans were at at, um, at preventing him from doing. You know, o- o- Obama basically um, told Anderson Cooper that he he didn't think it would ever get as bad as it got because he thought there were guardrails that would have stopped um, Trump from going as far as he did. So yeah, let's play this clip. And then suddenly you now have large portions of an elected Congress going along with uh, the falsehood that uh, there were problems with the election. And, and the leadership of the GOP briefly for a, you know, one night when they still had this sort of yes. sense of fear in them, yeah. you know, going against the president. And then poof, suddenly everybody was back in line. Now, what that, the reason for that is because... The base believed it. The base believed it because this had been told to them not just by the president, but by the media that they watch. And nobody stood up and said, stop. This is enough. This is not true. I won't say nobody. Let me correct it. There were some very brave people who did their jobs, like the Secretary of State in Georgia, who was then viciously attacked for it. And all those congressmen started looking around and they said, you know what, I'll lose my job. I'll, I'll get voted out of office. Another way of saying this is I didn't expect that there would be so few people who would say, well, I don't mind losing my office because this is too important. America's too important. Some things are more important than Our democracy is too important. So, yeah, so the I think that the... Um the most important thing here, right, is that um, Obama was, was really stunned by by this. And this is, again, the biggest problem facing America is not, is not the Democratic Party. Um, it's the fact that the Republican Party will not do anything to rein in Trump or the MAGA mob. They won't do a damn thing. And, and, and it's scary. And, and this is why I think the Republican Party is so incredibly dangerous. And this is what Obama is basically saying. He's basically saying it's a kind of a, 
a, a you know a kind of a gentle way of saying the Republican Party aren't interested in democracy and they don't give a shit about America, right? They've 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 basically succumbed to Trump and Trumpism and they've they've given up completely. Uh, and you know there are very very few true patriots who are willing to stand up to Trump and Trumpism. Uh, and and he's clearly very concerned about this and and surprised that this was. I don't know why he was surprised. Uh, he, you know, having dealt with him for eight years in office, I'm sure he would have seen the writing on the wall that these this is a bunch of spineless cowards. Um, but nevertheless, he does appear to be genuinely surprised that more Republicans didn't do it do something. You know, which is uh, a, a, again, I'm still waiting for this this breakaway party to happen. You know, you had all these ex- these Republicans threatening to create a breakaway party. That hasn't happened. That hasn't materialised. You know, there are still some you know some never Trumpers who are doing a good job, who who are out there, you know, going to war with with Trumpism. Uh, but it's not. It's just not enough. And I think Obama is is you know sending a message saying, okay, like you know. Somebody needs to do something here. That the Republican Party needs to really step up, which unfortunately they're not going to do. Some of us received that message five years ago. Listening to that clip, I, I someone needs to tell Obama he's not a politician anymore. I, like I, and I know this isn't the type of guy he is. He he always speaks in very measured tones, but how about some oomph? How about some more bluntness behind these? You know, he, instead he's like couching in the couching it in this very tactful language. Again, I know, I know this is his style, but he's just saying something that we've we've all known already, and he's being way too charitable here. And this is my way of saying we've put it far better than Barack Obama has. <laughs> well, if, if you look I, at the if you look at the words, if you look at the the the, the, the actual words and the critique. Um, are spot on. It's like, I, I remember in the 2012 election, um, uh, sorry, the 2008 election when Obama uh, went toe-to-toe with John McCain. And if you look at the dialogue, if you look at the transcript, right, of like, I think it was the first debate maybe between, between them, Obama completely wiped the floor with McCain, right? He, he was just far, you know, you know, far more erudite, far more concise, um, clearly more intelligent than John McCain, um, more well-versed in history. He just, it, you know, reading the, the transcripts, yeah, Obama won that. If you watch the debate, McCain thrashed him. McCain's delivery was, was much better. His timing was much better. Obama seemed like he was sort of delivering a lecture or something to some, some college students, right? It lacked the oomph, you know, to, to really make an impact. So it was quite this weird thing. And I think it's the same, you know, what you're perhaps noting is, is, is the same thing. Um, that his delivery is just like, you know, you can imagine if, if, if you're on an airplane and the plane is on fire and everyone, you know, you have to, you have to put your parachutes on. Obama would be like, well, you know, it might be time to, uh, put the uh, oxygen masks around your, you know, <laughs> on your mouth and uh, take a seat. Do you know what I mean? You could imagine him, <laughs> right? It would, be, it would be like, you'd almost fall asleep listening to him. You'd be lulled into a set, false sense of security by his tone. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is your captain speaking. We're all going to die. 
so please say the necessary goodbyes to any friends or loved ones you may be traveling with. Thank you for flying United. Right, it's exactly. You know, so I, I think what the co- the content of what he said was important, was good, but maybe the delivery wasn't so great. Okay, is it time? It's time. Who's going first? Yeah, you go first. What crazy fucking thing did a Republican say this week? And man, we had some contenders. And believe it or not, I actually passed on Tammy Bruce on Fox News warning about human animal chimera and how mutants are coming. I actually passed on that. Yeah. So, but instead, I want to turn to a guy named Victor Davis Hansen. And this isn't necessarily as crazy as what Bruce said. I just have more to say on this topic. So he was on um, a show hosted by some guy named uh, Tucker Carlson. Do we? I, have, you, have you heard that? Uh, you know, dimly aware of Tucker Carlson. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. A- a- anyway, um, they, were, they were talking about how younger generations today, they're, they're having kids at older ages, in some cases not having kids. You know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has said that she's not sure if she wants to have kids because she's worried about climate change. And so this is what these, these two uh, gentlemen are discussing here. It's Quickly, do you f- find it interesting that they are so offended by fertility and nature and the idea that people reproduce and that's okay, you know, that we men and women come together and create new life? Like the whole thing is repulsive to them. Why is that? Well, I think it's because it started with the feminist movement that they felt that that impaired a woman's future. But I think it also reflects reality, Tucker, that the age when people are getting married, having children, buying a home, buying a house has gone from mid-20s to mid-30s. And our crisis right now is that we're not reproducing ourselves. We're about 1.8 rather than 2.1 or 2. And and we're suffering from, what, prolonged adolescence. These, These children... Or they have adult bodies, but they have the minds of children. They don't want to grow up. AOC is a good example of a person who's suffering from prolonged adolescence. And she said she doesn't want to have children because of climate change. So it's a, it's a phenomenon. I don't know if it's because of $1.7 trillion in student debt or the economy, but they just don't right. want to take off their train wheels and go out and experience life and its, its adventures and dangers. This fucking guy. What, yes, what could be causing this quote-unquote prolonged adolescence? No, it's actually not having the mind of a child. It's not this prolonged adolescence. It's rational calculation. And he even hints at it in his response. He talks about the shit ton of student loan debt that millions of people have across this country and that millions more will continue to have as they graduate college. And... Housing prices, the price of a college education, all of this stuff has outpaced inflation over the last 35, 40 years. You know, it's much harder for the average 25-year-old to buy a home now than it was in 1980. Okay, that is a fact. In terms of the wages people are earning, those have more or less flatlined over the last several decades. So, if there has been any like, 
you know, some sectors, yes, wages have increased in terms of inflation-adjusted dollars. But still, everything else is accelerating at a faster rate, and the wages aren't keeping up. So people are making a calculated decision in many cases to just put off buying a home, to put off having a child, because it's taking longer and longer for people to get in a financially stable place so that they can have that kid. It is completely irresponsible to be in a financially tenuous situation and have and be popping out like two, three kids. So, you know, the fact that some people are deciding to have kids later or fewer kids or not at all, it's, this is not some indication of a prolonged adolescence. People are being smart. And by the way, like, I'm sorry, it's not the job of people to make sure that like the country has enough kids so that, you know, the greatest country in the world can continue to prosper or whatever narrative they're getting at. It's ridiculous. For him, I mean, it's weird that he answered his own question, right? I mean, that he, he, he said something about student debt, right? Which is like, yeah, I mean, it's the obvious answer. It's the obvious answer that w- that wages are being going down, and prices are, or, or wages have have been stagnant, and and the price of everything has gone up. The amount of people I know who have waited for kids haven't waited because uh, they wanted to wait. They waited because they didn't have any money, because they were paying off student loans, they were paying off, you know, um, mortgages like. Having a kid, I have a kid. I'm going to have another kid um, as well. So I have two. And oh my God, they are expensive. They are incredibly expensive. We didn't have help from from my family. Um, You know, sometimes I don't understand how people do it. I genuinely don't understand how people have kids today. Like it it doesn't make, it's almost impossible financially speaking for, for, for most people. You know, they just go deeper into debt. You know, they go heavily, heavily, you know, heavily into debt or they just, you know, you just think, OK, well, I'll have one kid because, uh, you, you know, I just, I can't afford another one. I know a number of people who, who, you know, that's what they've done, you know, or they're just completely broke for years because of, because they spent, you know, all the money on their kids. It, it's like we're living it. It's a very strange time right now. And it's been made basically worse. This is the world that Republicans have built for us. Right. So if you want to look at the real culprits here, it's the Republicans who've built this this economic system that makes it almost impossible for uh, people to have kids and not go into severe debt. So, yeah, no, I, I, I concur completely. Healthcare too. I didn't, I mentioned yeah, housing and college, healthcare. Holy shit. Is that expensive? And each kid you pop out, that's, you know, that's, five, six it, grand minimum with insurance. Yep. yep. All right. It's, it's crazy. All right. What's your thing? What do you got? Okay, so this week, um, not a Republican, uh, but it is uh, our good friend Matt Taibbi. Uh, Matt Taibbi, with his good pal Glenn Greenwald, are now part of um, I don't know what you'd call them the 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 un, the unkind term for these people they refer to as the dirtbag left, right? And and you can kind of see like why they've been called the dirtbag left when they do things like this, right? So okay. And this is via NBC News, okay? When federal police officers violently cleared protesters from the city's Lafayette Square in June 2020, they did it so a contractor could install fencing, not to let President Trump hold a photo opportunity at a nearby church, an investigation by the Interior Department's Inspector General has found. 
That finding published Wednesday is likely to surprise many critics of Trump who have long asserted that the president or his attorney general ordered the operation to pave the way for an act of political theatre. But that is also the central allegation of a federal lawsuit by Black Lives Matter against the Justice Department. So the report found no evidence of that, but did find that Attorney General William Barr urged officials to speed up the clearing process once Trump had decided to walk through the area that evening. Okay, so, all right, the original story that um, Barr had ordered um, had ordered the place cleared so that Trump could pose for a photo op, it wasn't exactly right. Right, they they were ordered to clear the square to install a fence to keep protesters out, but then Barr urged them to speed it up so that Trump could go and have a photo op when he heard that Trump was going there. So, you know, was the story inaccurate in the beginning? Uh, you know, again, like it, that's difficult to say, right? But clearly, there more information has come to light, but not according to Matt Taibbi. According to Matt Taibbi, this is an this is an, an example of a big liberal media, pro-Democrat liberal media conspiracy, right? Um, Toby tweets, he says, obviously it's hard to get worked up over mistakes about Donald Trump, but the sheer quantity of these false stories isn't just on the press anymore. It's on the audiences who are all too happy to be lied to. Okay? So, if you look into what, if you look at what Toby's saying here, right, he's saying it's a false story um, that the press have been releasing, they are lying to audiences who want to be lied to about Donald Trump, about how bad it was, right? Uh, and then he, Toby puts up on his tweet, he has these stories um, from the Hill, uh, how Trump cleared the park around the White House for a photo op. And then um, the Washington Post says a reverse fact check from Trump and his supporters are about tear gas falls apart. Uh, peaceful, then this is from NPR, peaceful protesters tear gas to clear way for Trump's church photo op, right? So basically what Tybee is saying here was that the media deliberately misreported on it and they misreported on it to feed a false narrative to um, to liberals that Trump did something that he didn't do, right? This is just nonsense and unbelievably disingenuous from, Matt, from someone like Matt Tavey, who's supposedly a great reporter, this happens all the time. There is a story, the media reports on it, more facts come to light, the media then report on the new facts, right? If the media were being disingenuous about that, they wouldn't have posted any updates about that or posted the results of the investigation, right? You know, the investigation also didn't completely negate the story. It just made it, it's a little bit more opaque, right? It's not quite clear. So this is, again, it plays into this sort of fantasy where, that Matt Taibbi and Glenn Greenwald live in, where there's this giant media liberal conspiracy theory, the, this sort of pro-centrist Democrat sort of cabal uh, that, it, that essentially like blocks out dissenting opinion. Um, it's in bed with the DNC. It's in bed with you know, the Biden administration, blah, 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 right? And it's just wrong. Like what he's saying is just wrong, and it's disingenuous, and it's not—it's not fair. And I don't think, like, I don't see how Toby and Greenwald can be. How do people respect them anymore when they're saying nonsense like this? I mean, I, you know, I, I, I don't get it. As I, I, you know, I, I've, I've long gone after uh, Greenwald over, over this, and Matt Toby didn't. I don't know. Matt Toby didn't used to do this, but he's doing it now routinely. He's routinely making stuff up. 
um, or, or, or making disingenuous arguments. Like, you know, it's like the whole Russiagate stuff. Any time that the media got something wrong about Russiagate, according to Taibbi and Greenwald, it was this, that again, was evidence of this big conspiracy theory, which it wasn't. It was just that the, sometimes the stories were wrong, you know, and then they were corrected later. Uh, yeah, so I think it's pretty shameful. This report changes nothing for me. Absolutely nothing. First of all, you mentioned Glenn Greenwald. Keep in mind this fact. Greenwald has been one of the biggest critics of the security fences and other measures that have been put up around the Capitol after the January 6th insurrection. Just keep that thought in your head. As for the clearing of Lafayette Square, let's review what happened that day. According to this report, the decision had already been made prior to that day to clear the area because I guess it was going to be extended as part of the existing security, massive security perimeter that had been erected around the White House, right? And so far as I can tell, Greenwald has said nothing about that. Um, he hasn't. Why? No, he hasn't no, why, why? Because it was put up by a Republican, and, and a lot of his followers are conservative. But the Capitol fencing, that was like a a capital that was, that was like a democratic controlled congress and you know that's a democratic controlled congress decision so so that's fair game for greenwell so the the, the decision had already been made to that that area was going to be cleared before that day i would argue that trump knew this in all likelihood knew this trump on that day decides he's going to walk to a church right near the square let me ask you this. In his four years as president, how many leisurely strolls did Donald Trump take off the White House grounds? Can you think of any? I can think of some times where previous presidents, they dropped into a diner nearby or something like that. Or Bill Clinton would go for a jog with his Secret Service detail. How many times did – so you're telling me and, – and maybe he did. I don't know. But it's never been made public. Uh, so, you know, the, the one – one time, the yeah. One, one time. time. The one time was at a time when a square that was supposed to be cleared in the upcoming days – I don't know what day it was, but it wasn't supposed to be that day. Or even if it was, it was supposed to be cleared much later in the day. I, I forget what the report said. Trump chooses that day and that time to go take a photo op at a church to hold up a Bible that he has no use for. And remember, this is a guy who said we have to dominate the streets. That's, a, that's an exact quote. Dominate the streets is what he said. So this whole thing that and, – and just think of it. Like optically, how does this look? Okay, I remember that day. There's a bunch of protesters, you know, demonstrating peacefully in Lafayette Square. Bill Barr and a bunch of uh, law enforcement officers come out in riot gear. Out of nowhere, they get violently pushed out of the square. A news crew gets knocked to the ground. The square is cleared. And then here comes Donald Trump. Now, Taibbi and Greenwald would have us believe that Donald Trump actually had nothing to do with the clearing of the square, that he, he was totally innocent. And all that. I say this is bullshit, bullshit. We're having a semantics argument. Yeah, maybe Trump didn't personally order the square cleared. But like, look at the effect. Look at the effect of what Trump wanting to have that photo up at the church 
had. You had four of the five rights guaranteed by the First Amendment were violated that day in Lafayette Square. Freedom of speech, the freedom of assembly, the freedom to petition the government for redress of grievances, and the freedom of press. As I mentioned, that news crew was knocked down. So, so for the five, you know, the, the First Amendment got blown to pieces that day. And the fact that Glenn Greenwald noted First Amendment a crusader would hold, would be doing victory laps over this. Like, oh, see, I was vindicated. The press was wrong again. Like, get the fuck out of here, dude. Like, hey, this guy, it is amazing how he can just take something and just fit it into his narrative. Like, oh, the media was wrong about Trump again. No, that is not the story. The story here is Trump doing a photo op, which necessitated his, his goonish AG ordering the square violently cleared of protesters. The guy, he's he's so fucking dishonest. I mean, and now it's almost like they're, it, it, Greenwald and Toby are kind of interchangeable. They just take the same position on everything. It's pretty sad. Anyway, to end out this podcast, uh, I'd just like to say that, um, so where the G7 meeting is now, with a, you know, Biden is, is in England, is in Cornwall with uh, members of the G7. And um, so... Anyway, this is all taking pl- place uh, where I got married in, in Cornwall, in the south of England, um, and specifically at the place where I held my reception at the Eden Project. So if you see photos online of um, uh, the Queen um, and all the members of the G7 standing outside this big sort of, it looks like a giant bubble, uh, that's, yeah, that's basically where I got married. So anyway, I've been quite enjoying the 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 the, the press on that and covering that. It's given me. It's really. Uh, it's kind of like brightened up my day uh, to 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 see that. Um, this this is humble bragging, Ben. This is shameless humble bragging. Yeah, no, no, no. No, it's not humble bragging. I'm bragging. I'm like <laughs> yeah. straight. I'm straight. There's no. There's no humility there. I'm just bragging. Oh uh, yeah, that uh, that sounds like a very different venue from uh, where I got married. I got married at the. Uh, at a federal court in Newark, New Jersey, by a federal judge, which is kind of cool, but not quite the venue you're talking about, not quite the type so, of place you're talking about. So, so uh, right, okay, he, he, here's what I will say. I will say, though, that, that um, the Eden Project, right, where, so where I held the reception, so we actually got married in, like, a 13th century Catholic church, right? My wife's Catholic. We had to find a Catholic church in Cornwall, and obviously, as you know, in England, we got rid of all the Catholics, um, so we found like the one Catholic church in the whole of Cornwall, uh, where we where we could get married, and it was a place where they sh- they had to share the church with Protestants um, as well. So they kind of split their time. So it was the one Catholic church we could find. Then we all went to the Eden Project, right, to rent rent out the Eden. Pro- we rented the Eden Project out for 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 dinner and a band and that kind of stuff, um, and it looked. You know, everyone was like, a lot of people saw the photos and like, that's, oh, it was amazing. I, you know, it was one of the cheapest weddings, right? That anybody of all my friends, um, all my, you know, people whose weddings I've been to have had. It was amazingly good value to to, to rent this place and get the dinner. Um, so much so, it was probably about um, a tenth of the price of what you would have paid for just to, to, to rent a kind of vineyard or something like that out in here in, in where I am in Maryland. So it was, it was actually really cost effective. Um, and it looked great. I got married in Newark. <laughs> okay. You win. Okay. You win. <laughs> I, 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 I win the, 
just by virtue of where you were. Oh man, it has charm. Maybe it has. Well, actually, Cornwall is apparently, um, you know, Cornwall is actually one of the poorest parts of England, which is so. It's really nice for most of the year. Well, it's really nice during the summer. All the everyone from London goes down to Cornwall because of the beaches during the summer. The tourist industry, you know, is what sustains the economy down there. And then what happens is they all go home again. So for about six, seven months out of the year, Cornwall goes back to being incredibly poor. So it's probably poorer than Newark in in, in many ways, uh, but it does have some nice beaches. We got married in Newark because my wife's family is friends with a federal judge uh, for the dis- in the district of New Jersey, and we wanted a really low key wedding, which it was. And she ended up marrying us in uh, in her courtroom, which was kind of cool. That's pretty cool. That's cool. Hey, it's a unique it's it's a unique wedding. Later that summer, we had like a, a, a another quote unquote wedding for show. Uh, at her family's house in upstate New York. Which is a bit more fancy. Yes. Yeah, okay, there you go. So so <laughs> not quite so humble, not quite so uh you know, if we if we're gonna we're we're competing on who had the most humble wedding. <laughs> I can I can't comp that both weddings combined can't compete with Cornwall. <laughs> No, okay, fair. It, it, it is pretty it, it's pretty nice. And if anybody have you ever watched the series Poldark? No. No. Okay. So maybe some of our listeners will have would have <laughs> will have seen Poldark, but it's where we got married is where basically Poldark is set. It's where I used to go. And, it's basically where I used to go on vacation as a kid. It's my favorite part. It's, it's my favorite place in England. So it was really fun to get married there. Anyway, there you go. Um, all right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for listening. Um, I, we really appreciate it. Uh, please leave comments below in the section. Uh, also subscribe to the podcast. You can do so on Spotify and on iTunes. Um, iTunes the Spotify is really easy to do as well. Uh, I think that's what most people are doing now is uh, subscribing to Spotify. So please do that. You get access to the podcast really quickly. If you'd like to support us as well, you can purchase a Bantam membership. You can get two months free. If you click the nice red button at the bottom of the email, uh, we'd really, really, really appreciate that. Um, we rely on your subscriptions to keep going. And um, yeah, thank you very much. And t- tune in next week. We'll be back. Welcome back, Jeffrey Tubin. <laughs>